the golden showers. Okay, everybody knows I'm a neat freak. That's how, that's why I keep my body tight. Okay, like a powerful, rich power lifter. Okay, I'm also not into dirty Sanchez's. I could be, in, you know, if they were dirty something else, you could do it. But now, you know, you know how I feel about Mexicans. Uh, rusty trombones. I definitely, excuse me, not my thing. Because I don't really like jazz, it's, isn't it? More like, it's like noise. It's like, the only jazz I like is John Stockton, okay? One of the great NBA players. And uh, I also, I actually do like the Dutch oven. So, you know, because it's nice and warm. Okay, and the Dutch, they're very tall. Very tall people, so we support Dutch ovens, okay? Uh, donkey punches, okay? I once went with my father, the great Fred Trump. We were taking a trip to Mexico. Uh, I tell you what, we showed up to a donkey show and there were no punches, but a lot of action. So I think I could support donkey punches. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Now let's be honest with one another. If you work in the media business, Donald Trump is the gift that fucking keeps on giving. From the New York Times to Saturday Night Live and Jimmy Kimmel to this very podcast, Trump is the guaranteed winner. On any given day, you know that the former guy will eventually deliver the goods based on his inability to conform to even the most basic norms of human decency. Like a memory question, it's uh, like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have, like, a good memory, because I'm cognitively there. Take the latest incident in Palm Beach, where a bunch of elite Republican donors gathered for an exclusive retreat in Palm Beach on Thursday to work out on how they're going to fight back from last year's humbling presidential election loss. Now, these weren't MAGA fanatics, but the kind of old-school country club Republicans for whom Trump is necessary evil to be tolerated as long as he delivers on his promises. You, you... You have worn out your welcome at Bushwood, sir. According to the Washington Post, top GOP operatives and U.S. senators were in attendance for Trump's speech at the National Republican Senatorial Committee, where he lauded himself as the savior of the party. It was a dying party. I'll be honest. Now we have a very lively party, he told them, before going on an inevitable rant about election conspiracy theories. You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? But this whole place sucks. That's right, it sucks. Only reason I'm here is maybe I'll buy it. Then Trump went full fucking Trump, because after all, he can't help himself. Amidst golf lessons with Jack Nicholas, seminars on digital fundraising and foreign policy infrastructure, Trump told them he doesn't like getting pissed on. Now, metaphorically speaking, as in, don't piss on me and tell me it's raining, but full-on pee-pee. In a bizarre and unprompted tangent, he addressed unsubstantiated claims about what he did with prostitutes in Moscow before his presidency and reported in the highly unreliable Steele dossier. This is the big Steele dossier, remember Steele? 
that was written turned out to be a total fake document. They made up all the stories, thank goodness, because there were a couple in there that I didn't like. I'm not into golden showers, he reportedly told the crowd. You know, the great thing, our great first lady, that one, she said, I don't believe that one. Unfortunately, Trump did not expand on the implication that his wife does believe some of the other allegations against him. Okay, in the United States, it was reported that when Donald Trump was staying at the Ritz-Carlton, he stayed in the presidential suite, which I believe is room 1101, and that he hired two prostitutes to pee in the bed because this room had also been occupied by Barack and Michelle Obama, and it was a form of insult to them to have these women come do that on the bed. Trump's bizarre and not completely accurate statement that he doesn't enjoy getting pissed on should be amended to say that Trump does love to piss on everybody else. And this is how he is treating the current GOP, forcing them to not only get behind him, but wholeheartedly accept his big fucking lie as gospel or face a reckoning from MAGA voters. Trump may be the decided favorite to lead the Republican Party through the midterms and on to victory in 2024, but he sure seems to be doing his very best right about now to keep Republican voters at home. The former president was out with this statement today, quote, if we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020, which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented, Republicans will not be voting in 22 or 24. It is the single most important thing for Republicans to do. With more than a year to go before the midterm elections, the former president is leaving no corner of the party untouched as he moves to assert his dominance, both in public and behind the scenes. His stepped-up efforts to create an excruciating dilemma for party strategists and lawmakers who believe they could have a banner election year in 2022 if they keep the focus on President Biden and his failing agenda. Because uh, I, I want Donald Trump to go away more than anybody else, possibly. Uh, but man, uh, he's the best thing that the Democrats have going right now, keeping him around uh, with statements like that for the midterms. And that is a person that is certifiably insane. Um, he has completely lost his grip on reality, the tenuous grip that he ever had at any point. And uh, look, I, I think it obviously we saw the results in Georgia. Um, uh, the, the Republicans won in the first round in November in both those seats. They lost in January. You can only blame Donald Trump for those two seats being lost. You can only blame him for Chuck Schumer being the majority leader right now. And so, uh, you know, he's looking for a repeat, I guess. This sent a shiver down the spine of GOP strategists who blame Trump and his behavior in Georgia, especially the fact that he explicitly told voters that they shouldn't vote because the election was rigged for losing the state. Now it seems Trump is going full on fucking madman, effectively blackmailing his own party by saying, accept my big lie or I'll burn down the GOP and piss all over its smoldering ashes. Indeed, mainstream Republicans are already being ritualistically forced to affirm Trump's supposedly stolen re-election. They are not allowed to just pretend it didn't happen and move on. It has become the new litmus for not only Donald Trump, but his fucking MAGA army. Is that it's become the cult of personality, the party of Donald Trump, and what's worse, an authoritarian 
institution. Well, for Republicans, what it does is continue the threat to democracy. And it, and in some ways, um, it provides a home for the sort of existential crisis of our democracy in the Republican Party. So what Fiona Hill is talking about when she's talking about the degradation of democracy, this is how democracies end. The worst part is that Trump doesn't even have to deliver on his mob boss threat. He just has to say it and frightened politicians will bend to his will. That's because the threat is believable. First, because Trump doesn't give two shits about the GOP. And second, because Trump is fucking demented and insane. All he cares about is power. And not only will he destroy our electoral system, but his own party as well. The GOP only matters to Trump in terms of what it can provide to him. Remember the first rule of Trump. Loyalty only goes one way towards him. Everyone else can fuck off. I do think, though, as time goes by, uh, and it will become increasingly clear uh, as we gain more perspective on the last four years, um, Americans will come to realize what a disastrous presidency Donald Trump's was. How many people needlessly lost their lives during the pandemic because of his narcissism and incompetence, but also how his daily dose of bile and poison in the American body politic turn American against American, and they will not want to go. And Trump has been unrelenting, sending out a blizzard of statements attacking state and local officials in Arizona and Michigan, who he claims have failed to investigate election irregularities. But as one Trump advisor told me recently, the GOP is now being held hostage by the former president, who is threatening sabotage if he doesn't get what he wants. He released this statement. If we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020, which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented, no, they have not, Republicans will not be voting in 22 or 24. It is the single most important thing for Republicans to do. By the way, you've seen this. Trump is now fundraising off of that threat, grifting on his hostage taking. Republican operatives are privately grumbling that Trump is repeating what he did in the last Georgia Senate race, encouraging his supporters to stay home and helping Democrats capture the Senate. He has also increasingly aligned himself with those who took part in the Capitol attack, recording a video this month to wish happy birthday to Ashley Babbitt, the rioter fatally shot by police. Trump called her a truly incredible person and called on the Justice Department to reopen its investigation into her death. There was no reason Ashley should have lost her life that day. We must all demand justice for Ashley and her family. So on this solemn occasion, as we celebrate her life, we renew our call for a fair and nonpartisan investigation into the death of Ashley Babbitt. The former president has repeatedly raised the idea of the rigged election with candidates seeking his endorsement and has backed a slate of GOP contenders across the country who back his claims. They rigged the election and now, based on the rigged election, they're destroying our country. This is about the American people having their country taken away from them. Much of the party's power structure has given Trump leeway to prosecute his false election case without explicitly endorsing it. The National Republican Congressional Committee, known as the NRCC, the House GOP campaign arm, is running ads on Facebook that fully embrace a Trump return to the White House. A clear sign that he commands the support of small dollar donors. 
Trump won't run for president unless we take back the House, some of the spots declare. There's no shot we win without your help. He's upping the ante former President Trump. He's not just saying that the 2020 election was stolen. He's saying we need to take back our country now. He's saying our country will not be here in three years if we don't change the who's in power right now. So he's really feeding people this idea that not only do they need to sort of try to take back whatever power they have, but that they need to, by any means necessary, take the, the power from President Biden right now. Another recent fundraising email from the group threatened donors who had not yet contributed, saying, you're a traitor, you abandoned Trump. The message added that they would be branded a deserter unless they contributed to the House effort. While I must thank the gods of outrage for delivering this latest morsel of weirdness, it goes without saying that we have blown past what can only be described as a full-blown crisis in governance. No shit. That happened years ago. Now we must contend with the fact that this asshat of a human is likely going to be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. Unless that is he winds up in prison, which is still very possible. Trump vs. Biden 2 will happen. And unless we can contend with Trump's mob boss style of politics, we could really be in some very serious fucking trouble. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is Molly Jungfast, who returns to us from her smash hit podcast, The New Abnormal, which chronicles politics in the age of Trump and much, much more. Jungfast's most recent piece for The Atlantic serves as an urgent plea for Democrats to follow through on their threats of prison for those who refuse congressional subpoenas. The need for real and total accountability to show that we mean what we say and will no longer be walked on like doormats is crucial to force even a modicum of accountability from these unrepentant crooks. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Molly, let's start with what's happening right now. Steve Bannon is refusing to appear before the January 6th committee and will be found in contempt of Congress on Tuesday, setting himself up for criminal referral to the Justice Department. Now, if you would, walk me and my listeners through how you see this playing out. Are we making a martyr out of Bannon? Well, this is a good question, and I just wrote a piece about this for The Atlantic, so I feel particularly uh, capable to talk about it. So, it's an interesting question, right? There are all there are all these subpoenas, right? There four, they, the first batch were Bannon, Mark Meadows, Cash Patel, and uh, Dan, Dan Scavino. Scavino. And Meadows and Patel are supposedly the quote. What I've read, the reporting says that they're participating, but uh, Scavino was sort of hiding out. Eventually, he allowed a staff member at Mar-a-Lago to accept a subpoena on his behalf. And then there's a the question of Bannon. And Bannon actually is, I'm going to read you what his lawyer said, because it's totally fascinating. Um, he is claiming executive privilege, even though he hasn't worked in the executive branch in, uh, it's just a sort of fascinating little thing he's doing here. He hasn't worked in the executive branch since August 18th, 2017 which is more than 1,500 days ago. And what he's claiming is the executive privilege belongs to Donald Trump, and we must accept his direction and honor his invocation of executive privilege. 
Mr. Bannon is legally unable to comply with your subpoena requests and testimony. Now, that's bullshit. I mean, but Trump is uh, no longer the executive, so he doesn't have executive privilege. And Biden waived executive privilege for the Trump era documents that were in the National Archives. So ultimately, actually, believe it or not, uh, he's, I, I believe it or not, I think you should believe it, that uh, Bannon is, is full of shit. And I don't think, I hope I'm allowed to curse here. Am I allowed to curse here? Oh, you are. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that he has executive privilege. But, you know, that the game here is not about doing what's legal. The game here is doing what you can get away with, as you well know. So the Bannon just wants to run out the clock and hope that the Dems lose the House. And this whole thing goes away. You know, one of the, my favorite things that you wrote in The Atlantic, and I'm a big fan, he was on the show, is James Carville. And you talked about how yeah, James Carville is furious. And I love when James gets yeah. fucking crazy because he's like, <laughs> he's like me. I mean, there's only a threshold point before which he snaps and breaks. And he's screaming, it's the law. Yeah. If you do not enforce it, Democrats will look as weak as people think that they are. And I thought that was really an incredible statement by Carville, simply because it's true. It's true. One of the big problems that we have is not just the fact that we're living in a society right now of instant gratification. Shit, you want, you're shopping, you see a, you see a blouse, you like the blouse, you Amazon right. it. If you Amazon Prime, it's at your house before you're even able to get home. That's the truth. And one of the problems is the same thing with Google. If you want information, you ask Siri, you turn around, you get your information, one, two, three. That's not how justice works. However, right. one of the things that we're seeing is the fact that the system runs slow. It runs really slow. And for two reasons. One, because there's a process and you know everybody has due process rights. And the other is simply because of who you're fighting. Trump is a litigious motherfucker. All right. right. I know because right. I was the one that was doing some of it. And I've seen every single legal action that the guy has had over the course of the last 12, 13, 14 years. And he will fight anyone and everyone, whether it's a legitimate case or not. It doesn't matter. So they need to be careful. Right. So while I applaud Carville for saying it, Democrats have to do something. You take these four assholes and you turn around, especially Mark Meadows, who I think is a pathetic scumbag, right? If you don't hold them to these subpoenas and you allow it to just slip by the wayside, what it shows is that Congress has absolutely no power, which means none of these committees yeah. should exist any longer. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to say is the notion that you know, according to Bannon, according to Trump, that he still has executive privilege. Now, that's funny. And people really need to stop a second, take a deep breath and try to dissect this narcissistic sociopath, Captain Chaos, right? And to those people who don't realize mm -hmm. who I'm referring to, it's the former guy, Donald J. Trump. It's the reason he believes that he still has executive privilege is because he believes that he's the supreme leader. And because he goes to his room at Mar-a-Lago and these sycophantic assholes stand up and applaud this fat ass as he walks into the room and he starts on again, I won. They stole the election from us. Folks, quite frankly, I won. 
And so in his mind, he still thinks that he's the president. He thinks he's the supreme leader. And he really believes that he, that he has executive privilege, not to mention, despite the fact that this guy was for four years the president of the United States, to this day, he still doesn't understand how government works. No, not at all. But the Republicans let him do it. I mean, they, are, they took themselves hostage. They're kidnapping themselves and holding themselves for ransom. I mean, any time they want, they can say no to Donald Trump. And, you know, they refuse to because they think that they won't be able to win on their own, which is probably true. But I'm just saying they every day those Republicans have a choice. Well, they have a choice, except for the fact that they don't care about the republic. They don't care about democracy. They only care about filling their coffers and winning the next election. And their fear is that Donald Trump, with his 25, 28 percent base that is just beholden to him, that think that he walks on water, that they will abandon the candidate and that they will lose power themselves. And that's something that they don't want. I agree. I think that's totally right. And I think that they are, um, you know, they have let themselves get here. This is this happened uh, in an organic way, you know, and it'll be interesting to see. Now, what do you think about that where Trump said that uh, people maybe should stay home in 2022 and 2024? Well, far be it for me, but I happen to have tweeted about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in my <laughs> usual snarky, you know, sort of semi-comical way, I hope they do. I hope no Republicans, yeah, I hope that they listen to him. Republicans, if you're listening to this show, don't show up to the ballot box. No problem. Make our right. lives much, much easier. Let's ensure that Democrats end up retaining the House, that they retain the Senate in that way, right. or that they, they take over uh, you know, Senate and, and so on by a majority that you don't have these filibuster issues in that way that Joe Biden can actually accomplish something. Because, look, Mitch right. McConnell, for as much as I despise him, He's actually one of the few people that, while I don't agree with what he's saying, is honest about what he's going to say. And when he said that we will never allow Joe Biden to accomplish any of the things that he campaigned on, he wasn't hiding that. He's not sitting there and smiling to Biden's face. He came right out and said, there's nothing that you're going to propose that we're going to accept. Right. That's a hell of a challenge to the president of the United States from the speaker. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole thing is, is look, Mitch McConnell learned how to do this from Newt Gingrich, right? Newt Gingrich was the king of obstruction. He said, you know, all of these gentlemen agreements are bullshit. Let's just blow the whole thing up. And since then, Republicans have worked really hard to blow things up. Trump doesn't become Trump in a vacuum. Trump is created by the Tea Party, Newt Gingrich, by Sarah Palin. You know, the ground was fertile for something that crazy. And that's how we got there. So, I mean, I don't think that Trump is some kind of, uh, you know, anathema. He is what they all, he is a real, he's exactly what the Republican Party is. It's He's the final form. Well, of the Republican Party. Yes, I, I agree with that. And let me also just jump into another thing. We all have to acknowledge and why Republicans and why these sycophantic followers refuse that Donald is batshit crazy. 
I don't know. But I want you just to think, an hour or two ago, an article came out. And the article, I read it in the Daily Beast, but it's all over. It's in Rolling Stone. It's in Vox. It's in you name it. Trump assures GOP donors he doesn't enjoy being peed upon. Now, look, the guy goes and he's there uh, doing a uh, senatorial committee retreat. He has these major Republican donors in, I believe it was probably Mar-a-Lago or something. And for some unknown reason, he decides, though it's not the topic at hand, that he wants to set the record straight when it comes to the P tape. And he, Melania's there, and he's looking directly at her, and he says, she knows, I don't like to be peed on, right? This whole thing with, now, now, if that in itself doesn't tell you that there's something psychologically wrong with this individual, I'm not sure what else you need the guy to do. I really, I really don't. Does he have to, does he have to sort of like cut off one of his limbs in order to turn around to prove that he's batshit crazy? You know, does he, I, I, I truly don't know what else that this man can do in order to show these sycophantic followers that there is something psychologically wrong with him and that the notion that this man should be a presidential candidate, again, even though, I, again? Even though I'm telling you emphatically he will not run, it's, it's a ruse, it's part of the grift. Wait, why do you think he won't run? Because Donald has a fragile ego. He got his ass kicked by how many millions of votes? Um, he knows he's going right. to lose again, even though he's still popular amongst that base. That base of 28, 30% is of the Republican Party, which only constitutes 42% of the country. So you, have, you don't have enough to win under any circumstance, and he knows it. And the notion of being a two-time loser is too much for his fragile ego to handle. He just can't. I hope you're right. I hope you're I right. I also believe that, the, that yeah. the district attorney in the attorney general's case against Trump and his eponymous company, Weisselberg, hopefully soon Calamari and others, right, will be more than enough in order to ensure that he does not get uh, the opportunity to run again. Despite the fact, and this is now on the media, the media wants him to run because Donald Trump is not so me. fucking crazy that he draws eyeballs, yeah. whether it's the Rupert Murdoch's of the world with the bullshit Fox and the New York Post, yeah. all the way right uh, to the opposite side, to the CNNs and MSNBC. You know, Donald was very clear when he said to Jeff Zucker and to CNN, you had your best years because of me, and look at how you treat me, right? Donald is, Donald is, a, is a train wreck, and everybody is stopping on the highway in order to watch the train wreck. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I don't know, I, I think Donald Trump is still so bad for democracy that most people, even if they, you know, I, I, I think most of us would just rather he went away. I mean, I'm more worried about the possibility of like Donald Trump, uh, like a Ron DeSantis playing by Donald Trump's rules, right? Or a smart Donald Trump. Because part of the magic of Donald Trump was he could never do anything. He didn't know how to legislate. He didn't know how the Senate worked. He couldn't ever pass anything but that tax bill. Like he was a mess. And even when things would like get close to getting done, he'd fuck them up. So 
the danger, I think, I mean, look, Trump is definitely a danger. And I feel I, I just can't. I mean, I hope you're right, but I just can't imagine a world where he doesn't do it again because of the attention. But you know him better than I do. Yes, but what we're seeing now, whether it's articles like what you wrote in The Atlantic, what the Daily Beast, and everything, he still has the ability to draw the attention that his narcissistic, sociopathic ego requires. That's not, that's not, that's not what's going to prevent him. Right. What's going to prevent him, again, is the DA uh, and the attorney general here in New York, the case in Georgia. There are several other cases that are pending out there, including the one that he has to sit for uh, on Monday, um, you know, uh, when it comes to one of these civil cases. But what you talk about at the beginning, like the Ron DeSantis's, I talk often on Mea Culpa about this. And we always refer to that person as the Donald Trump 2.0. That's a Donald Trump who's more clever, Right. who's more devious, sinister, mm -hmm. has an understanding for government, and is better funded. There are people out there, including like Iran DeSantis, yeah. who, in my opinion, is crazy. Now, I also want to turn around and tell you what I think will happen if Ron DeSantis decides to run. That's not going to make his supreme leader, Donald, too happy. And Donald will do what he does to others. He will turn on him and he will start saying shit about him. That's not true. But again, in Donald's world, truth exists between his left ear and his right ear. And the more that he keeps saying it, the more that Rupert and Fox and Post and other, you know, other crazy sort of um, magazines and newspapers, you know, continue to promote, it ultimately becomes the truth. And that's really the danger here, that what happens when a Donald Trump 2.0 steps up, a Josh Hawley, a, a, a DeSantis. Yeah. And you should be, as, I'm, as am I. I'm worried about that. Yeah, because I think that the danger of, a, of that is real. Listen, Molly, he's raised a lot of issues. He's gotten away with even more of them. And he has now shown this next Donald, this 2.0, a roadmap on how to destroy our democracy. How to fuck with government. Look, nobody ever just yeah. walked away from a subpoena, yeah. gave him the middle finger and said, hey, Adam Schiff, fuck you, right? Take your subpoena, right. wipe your ass with it because I'm not showing up. Yeah. Steve Bannon did. And Dan Scavino? Yeah. Listen, I know Dan Scavino for over two decades. Dan is an idiot. Dan's job, Dan's original job <laughs> was he was the general manager at the Trump National in Briarcliff Manor, Westchester. OK, that was and he got fired because Trump didn't like the way that he was running the books and they weren't making as much as they should have and so on. And then he didn't speak to him for years. Ultimately, Dan comes back and says, hey, Michael, maybe you could bring me into Donald. You know, I would really like to see him. I'm doing social media now. And because Dan was cheap and I mean dirt cheap, like almost to the point of free that Donald took him on and then ultimately right. to become deputy White House chief of staff. Mm -hmm. Seriously? The guy has the IQ of a potato chip and he is incompetent yeah. to do any. Okay, great. So he's running his Twitter account. My God, that's definitely the qualifications for a deputy White House chief of staff. And then the arrogance, the arrogance to go yeah. hide in Mar-a-Lago, which by the way, I predicted, I told everybody 
where Dan Scavino was. It's the only logical place for him to run to. He was actually in DC. He was in New York, but he allowed them to serve to a staff member. And but I mean, well, I mean, I'm glad he finally accepted it because the fact is, I could have seen a world where he didn't accept it, and they had to continuously. And so they'll find him. Uh, look the, for and him. they'll find him, whether it's today, next week, in yeah. six months. Do you think it's it's comfortable for him to be in hiding? And people know him. So the second somebody sees him, they're going to call the FBI and then he's going to get, you know, approached by 20 guys, possibly handcuffed and served, whatever. But I want to sort of move on with this for a second in the same genre. Yeah. In this piece for The Atlantic, you wrote about the need for Democrats to enforce these subpoenas with real jail time. What's the risk that they run in if they once again allow Trump and his cronies to thumb their noses at the committee? What do you think ends up happening? Well, look, I mean, the, there's no precedent, right? Congress hasn't jailed someone since 1935 or 1934. I mean, there's no precedent for jailing people because the, generally there's sort of a gentleman's agreement that when you are served, you go in and you answer the questions. So they're going to have to do what they're going to do on Tuesday is they're going to have a vote about whether or not they can enforce the enforce these subpoenas. And then they can put him in jail. I mean, there is no like I don't think they'll put him in the congressional jail. I think they'll put him in like a real D.C. jail, because if you're going to do it, you should do it all the way. Now, here's the question. And I think this is the thing you have to constantly think about is does Bannon become a martyr? Does Bannon use this to do to do to raise money and to do the podcast and to I mean, does Bannon say, like, you want to put me in jail? I will milk this or and that's, I think, very possible. Or the other choice is that Dan, that that if he can't do interviews and they put him somewhere where he's not, you know, like you had this experience, too, where they if they put him somewhere which is not D.C. and they put him in a jail far away, you know, it's possible that people just forget about him. I mean, we have these super short attention spans and maybe people, I mean, Roger Stone was in jail for a long time. I mean, Roger Stone did milk it. Yes, he he did. He decided to come out thinking he was Richard Nixon uh, before going in and coming out. But I also have one additional thought and I'm not 100% sure how this would work. So Bannon shows up, he gets sworn in, he sits down, he makes his opening remarks, all of the 10, probably do 15 minutes, praising Donald because everybody is playing right. to a party of one. He will then allow the, um, ma- the majority leader, the committee chair, to open right. up with his statement. And then he'll allow, of course, the minority uh, you know, to make their opening statement. At which point the first person, again, to speak, is going to be the committee, uh, the committee chair. And the first question he asks him is right. something about January 6th insurrection. Did he speak to the president? To which Bannon says, I hereby take the fifth. Now what happens? Yeah. And, and furthermore, Mr. Chair, I have no intention of answering any questions, and I take the fifth on every single question that you or any member of this committee intends to ask me. 
Now I can sit here, I can sit here for the next seven hours. He could do that. And I can state the same line over and over again, though I don't suspect that the media is going to be too interested as I repeat the same line over and over again, and this thing will come to a abrupt halt. At least it won't be televised, which is what all of you want. And so I and so I recommend right. that this matter be closed as to my dep as to my um being deposed here before all of you and I have now sufficed um and I have dealt with the subpoena as required by law by pleading the fifth they can hold him in contempt of congress i'm not so if sure if he's obstreperous i mean my grandfather well, this is exactly what happened to my grandfather with the House on Un-American Activities, and he pleaded the fifth, and he they threw him in jail. I mean, I'm not saying they will. These Democrats don't really. Those were Republicans, obviously, and it was the you know McCarthy era, and they threw him in jail because he wouldn't name names uh, against his friends in the you know who were communists and artists and writers. Um, I do think. I mean, you could, you can conceivably do anything you want. I. I don't think he will come and show up unless he's going to no, testify. No, but no, again, again I you know can't trust Steve anything Bannon. he says. So and I, Steve Bannon is a walking fucking circus. Right, he's a liar. All right, he he is. He's a walking circus. Right, and I I would not be shocked for him to appear and to just take the fifth. I have now done what I am responsibly legally to do as it relates to this subpoena. Now, I don't know the answer to this. Right. And I'm not even sure if this issue has ever come up. Now, will members of this committee then seek to hold him in contempt of court for asserting his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination? I don't think so. So he has that third option, though, of course, He's now no longer able to talk about it or anything like that. And if he does, then he could be held in contempt, which then sort of moves him out. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Cash Patel do the same thing, Dan Scavino do the same thing, and Mark Meadows do the same thing, and everybody just assert the fifth. At which point in time, Trump will turn around and tell them, guys, don't worry. I've got you. I've got you. He already told them not to follow the subpoenas the first time. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's a very tough situation, but uh, they, you know, they have to try. De- democracy has to survive. And, it, you know, if they don't try, democracy won't survive. I mean, if people don't, the Trump, these Trumpers will keep doing crimes until they're held accountable. Yeah, unfortunately. Now, let me ask you this. What do you believe should be the ultimate end game of the January 6th committee? Is it the ultimate referral of criminal charges for sedition, you know, uh, by Trump and his cronies? Or is it really just to create a full and accurate historical record of who did what, when, where, and why? I think it's both, right? You want a full historical record. You want a narrative. You want to convince people. I mean, the thing you really want is to convince people that what happened happened. Do you know what I mean? That what they think that what's what is real is actually real. Remember, we have this very siloed country where we have Republicans who are being told by Fox News that they were a bunch of tourists. I mean, there's been so much gaslighting, 
So in my mind, what Masha Gessen told me was this idea that the only way to fight fascism is with narrative. So if you have, you know, if you have Ali Alexander being like, we did send buses, which we know they did, and you have, I mean, and you have Steve Bannon, I don't think he'll tell the truth, but just say he would say Steve Bannon would say, you know, we, uh, we, you know, whatever they did, which I'm sure, you know, they had a guest list, they had a VIP list, they had a setup. I mean, all of that stuff, if people hear that, it will change hearts and minds. What we want and what I think the goal of the January 6th commission should be is to explain how the Trump administration tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power and how the peaceful transfer of power is one of the cornerstones of democracy. And if that goes away, you are lost. And so getting those people up there talking about the ways they tried to undermine democracy is important. Now, ultimately, in my mind, it seems insane that the people who stormed the Capitol are being arrested and Ali Alexander, who is on, you know, who is recorded bragging about his involvement in it, is walks a free man. But uh, you can't, you know, again, the law has a very high burden of proof, right? You're innocent until proven guilty. And if you're, it's a very different thing to be found in the Capitol building than it is to have said something online. And ultimately, these guys were all, most of these people were photographed in the Capitol or had caused destruction or were videos of them beating a policeman up. So, I mean, those, that's not a very high burden of proof if it's on video or they're tweeting about how they were there. I mean, it's, you know, they're recording themselves. I mean, a lot of these people self-incriminated and these other people higher up are, are a little too smart to self-incriminate, just a little. What's really funny, and I suggest that a lot of people should go to this, there's something called PolitiFact, which is the uh, Pointer Institute. And what they did is they uh, looked at news reports and information on 430 defendants that were arrested uh, for charges related to the insurrection. And some of them are just beyond comical. I mean, honestly, these people need to be fucking institutionalized because they're a danger walking around in society. So they start out that there was a music teacher in Washington, D.C., who, of course, continued with these false conspiracy theories, right? And, and this guy um, has a podcast right. and a YouTube channel concerning everybody does. And he made claims that the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting never happened. And then he goes on to say that former NBA star Kobe Bryant is still alive, as well as that the earth is flat. Now, this is a teacher in Washington, D.C., <laughs> All right. Now you want to know why our school system is so poor and why we fare so poorly, right? Um, in terms of other countries. Yeah. Then there was this 54-year-old woman from Pennsylvania who then was on her Facebook page stating that if you start to do research, that you'll find that Democrats have been trafficking children for years. And <laughs> and that one witness said that they lost customers at a restaurant where she worked because of her views on politics, right? But the, the it, it just goes on into the craziest shit. This 32-year-old guy from Ventura, California, then goes on to say in his posting, because as you said, everybody wants to be a YouTube star. Everybody wants to be an Instagram star. And they're willing to put their right. ass on the line by posting during an insurrection. But this idiot turns around and says, long before January 6th, 
that the, and he has facts to this, that the Smithsonian Institute is hiding evidence of giants and that um, <laughs> we may be living in a simulation, that what really is happening is not happening. It's almost like Oculus. We're living in some sort of crazy alternate uh, matrix type of a, of a movie. I mean, it's really crazy shit that these people, but the worst, the worst of these folks that keep talking about, you know, how it was a peaceful protest, that everybody stayed within the stanchions inside the Capitol. Well, look, I worked in the Capitol in 1987, 88, obviously, while I was still um, going to D.C. to see Trump, I spent some time in the Capitol. I never saw tourists come in with feces and start smearing it on top of yeah. statues and on paintings and on Nancy Pelosi's desk. I mean, I just don't understand what these people are thinking. And I find some of the stuff, while it's funny to read, if you take a step back and you take a breath, it's not funny at all. It's scary and it's dangerous. And it's coming. I mean, it's not, you know, it's scary, it's dangerous, and it's too late, right? I mean, it's already later than you think. I mean, it's really scary. I, I'm definitely really worried about it. Do you really believe that it's too late? I mean, here's the thing. You have one party that just wants to consolidate power, that's not interested in democratic norms at all. You don't have anyone in the Republican Party saying, like, this is not okay. We cannot overturn election results. If we don't have free and fair elections, we don't have anything. I mean, we're Russia. And so I think it's late. I mean, the fact that one party, I mean, maybe Democrats eke it out and maybe the Trumpism goes away. But it's as equally likely that either Trump wins again or something worse, you know, a Ron DeSantis playing by Trump's rules. I think it's it, this is much closer than you ever want to get to autocracy in America. It's the closest we've ever gotten. So I, I'm worried. And remember, Democrats are tasked with two things. They need to uphold democratic values, right, and uphold democracy. And they also need to uphold constitutional norms. And those two things are really things that are almost diametrically opposed in certain ways. So it's very, it's hard. It's not a good situation. Well, you know, you bring something up that I, again, talk about often, whether it's on television, in the press, mea culpa, et cetera that Donald Trump is enamored by Vladimir Putin. Donald Trump wants to be an autocrat. He wants to be the supreme leader. So taking that as a concept, what does that do to the Ted Cruz's of the world? What does that do to the Ron DeSantis's, the Josh Hawley, the Marjorie Taylor Greens? I'm going to tell you what it does. It makes them into the oligarch class. And that's why, that's why they have this fealty to Donald, because they believe that if he actually pulls this shit off and there are enough crazy people that are behind him, look at the number of people that stormed the Capitol wearing MAGA attire and uh, paramilitary outfits, yeah. they would become the oligarch class. So they're not thinking, these elected officials are not thinking about our democracy. They're not thinking about our constitution or the job to which they were elected. 
they're only thinking about their own self-preservation and their own futures. Yeah, I think that's right. I also think that they're scared. I mean, they're still scared of his Twitter. Well, he doesn't have Twitter anymore, but I understand what you mean. Right, exactly. But I'm just saying, you know, they're scared that he that if they alienate him, they'll either get a primary challenge or they won't be able to win the critical mass. And so they're willing to play along. And even though we've seen that playing along is a fucking disaster, it doesn't matter. No, they don't. They don't care. Now, my worry is that the GOP has already succeeded in whitewashing what happened to their own people and the rest. Um, Because they think January 6th was a good thing because Biden stole the election. I mean, this is it's just crazy. It's crazy thought and it's crazy talk. How do you have a culture of accountability in this polarized environment when those that are held accountable are immediately martyred or considered political prisoners by half the fucking country? I would say you get rid of Fox News. I mean, the problem here is that the Republican Party and the US Republicans are so addicted to Fox News. They're so profoundly shaped and siloed. They're not getting real news. I mean, look, if you had Facebook that actually had real news and didn't have all those sites like MAGA 234, if you had greater accountability for Facebook, for some of these online platforms that are spreading a lot of really crazy stuff, and you know you had greater accountability for Fox and for Newsmax. If you if you made it so people couldn't just say things that weren't true, right? Where you made you made it so there was some sense in which people had to really tell, tell the truth. You really could end up with a less siloed media universe where the, it, we all had the truth again. And I think that would be the first step towards democracy. You know, part of the reason why. Republicans started believing that the election was stolen was because Trump kept saying that. So if you had someone like a Mitt Romney or even I mean, look, I'm no I'm not a Republican, but really a lot of the sort of Democratic norms have focused, have sort of rested on the Republican telling the truth or that, you know, and not lying about it. And so this it's very it's very, very, very tough to have a Republican who just uh, is out of control like this. Yeah, because Donald doesn't tell the truth about anything. I mean, sometimes sometimes you have to wonder if he's even telling the truth about his name. Right. It's truly, it's an amazing thing to see that somebody can lie with such impunity. And then the worst is that there's such, there's this group of individuals that they just don't acknowledge and accept it. They promote the lie. and. Donald Trump has that Stalinistic belief system, which is that the more that you say something over and over again, the more people will believe it's true until it ultimately becomes the truth. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, he has there are a lot of really scary similarities between Trump and early Nazi stuff. Now, you know, the sort of rise to power, the sort of the martyrdom of Ashley Babbitt, you know, there are real autocratic things happening here that are really scary. And just because Trump is out of power doesn't mean Trump can't come back or Trumpism. And so I think it's it's really worrying. Yeah, Trumpism is a very scary thing. But let me just move on for a second, because guess what's back? The Steele report, that piece of shit document 
you know, produced by Austin Powers. Right. It's back in the news again, thanks mainly to, Trump. to Donald Trump, yeah. right, addressing the allegations at this donor um, function that I was telling you about in Florida. Yeah. Because as I said to you before, and we're going to go through this one last time, the Donald went on this gross tangent about what he did with prostitutes in Moscow, what he didn't do with these prostitutes in Moscow before his presidency. And I quote this, I'm not into golden showers, he told the crowd. Completely unsolicited. Nobody knows why. I think that the donors who are all a bunch of old, white, fuddy-duddy billionaires probably shook their head and said, the guy legitimately is batshit crazy. But he tells the crowd, you know the great thing, our great first lady. And then he points to her. That one, she said. I don't believe that one. Now, as much as I want all of this to be true, I've stated before the House Oversight Committee, and I've said it on my Twitter account and so on, unfortunately, it's not, okay? Nevertheless, Steele is a fucking liar. He's a fraud. And we can get into that, which we're going to in a second. What I don't understand is Trump's compulsion to walk himself back into the worst possible light. I mean, the notion, I want you to think about this for a second. So there I am, nine hours before the House Oversight Committee, nine hours. And we're talking about Russian collusion. We're talking about stuff that basically would destroy American democracy. And at least five or six Democratic members, including some of the Republican members as well. Well, actually, not one of the Republican members asked me a question. Not one during the entire thing. But the topic of Trump and a P-tape came up. The topic of Trump and potentially a, a tape of him beating Melania, actually physically assaulting her in an elevator, came up. This is a president that we're talking about here. I mean, is this how low that we've ended up devolving into? Yeah, he shouldn't have brought it up. I mean, unless, I mean, it just, I don't know. He is, but he's very self-destructive. I mean, that's sort of the amazing thing about him is he's completely self-destructive, you know? And so he says crazy stuff. I, I don't, I don't say what compulsion could, what, what could possibly have been the underlying motive? Uh, and again, you're right. I know him better than anybody. I myself cannot understand what the fuck this idiot was thinking when he decided in the middle of a donor meeting to turn around and to say to people, by the way, I want you all to know, I know I'm not into golden showers. I'm not into being peed on. I mean, the, what, what point are you trying to make here? Well, and then, you know, what's really interesting is then he says, I saved the Republican Party. And, you know, I don't think they think he saved the Republican Party. I think these Republican mega donors, I think they're hostages to him. So. The idea that he thinks that these people are going to applaud him while he has taken them hostage. And look, I'm no fan of the Republican Party, but I mean, come on, like they can't possibly think he saved them. Well, they're acting like he has. But, you know, Molly, something that's really funny. I, I want to just bring a little, you know, um, humor into this, you know, into this podcast for a moment. I found out uh, that Christopher Steele. Right. Is doing his first interview coming up. I believe it's with my friend over there, George Stephanopoulos at ABC. Uh, it's going to be, I believe, aired on Hulu. 
It's a one-on-one conversation with Christopher Steele. And I believe it's his first conversation with anybody. And obviously, one of the topics, not, not the whole thing, but one of them is about me and the right. 11 inaccurate, false statements, allegations made against me in this document, which ultimately was how my case got sent down to the Southern District of New York. We still don't know how or why, but he basically turns around in this Hulu interview and says he still believes I was in Prague. So he's now refuting this fucking jerk off, this MI6 fool that how he, listen, if this is the best England's got, right? (laughs) Obviously, it's why I call him AKA Austin Powers. For real, the FBI, the the Mueller team, everybody acknowledges. I was with my son at USC. They went to USC and they asked him, there's no, I have never been to Prague and I don't care how many times, like a Megan Tui from the New York Times says, I told her that 10 years before even the incident that I went to Prague, I've never been to the Czech Republic. I never have been to Germany. It's a lie. The allegations in the Steele dossier are are foolish and so on. And so they asked me if I would make a comment about Steele's position regarding all of this. Right. And I want to share before, obviously, it's going to air, I believe, on Monday. Um, and I, I responded to it because I felt I had to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I write and I tell me what you think about this quote, because I still have time to change it. I'm pleased to see that my old friend Christopher Steele, a.k.a. Austin Powers, has crawled out of the pub long enough to make up a few more stories. I eagerly await his next secret dossier, which proves the existence of Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and that Elvis is still alive. In fact, I hear David Pecker needs a new dirt digger at the National Enquirer. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's... uh... I don't know. It's he's. I mean, who? I don't know. Who cares? It's PR. I mean, well, I I care. I care because I know. But I'm just saying, it's like there's not. I mean, there's you know, you know, you weren't there. I I don't know. I mean, I just don't. I mean, it's you know, I think it's fine. But I think like ultimately, you know, if you know you weren't there, then and the people around you know that, then who cares? Okay, you know, I'm gonna I mean, accept that. I, I feel like I think the statement is fine, but I just think like ultimately you have gone on the right side of things. You know that. And you've, you know, made amends for Trump years and you went to jail. Continuing continue, and, and yeah. continuing. So, I mean, I don't know. Who cares about Christopher Steele? All right. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, but I but I don't you know, I don't know the whole story about and I'm sure it was traumatic for you. I mean, I'm sure. And it's and it's horrible now to have it keep going. But I I do think like ultimately if you're square, then it doesn't, you know, what people say about you is doesn't matter. Okay. You know? So then let's talk about the real possibility that we're gonna come back to what's really going on right now today. Okay. Uh about the real possibility of the Democrats losing both the House and the Senate in the midterms of 2022. I think the House is more likely than the Senate. The nightmare scenario of Kevin McCarthy as speaker and Trump calling the shots behind the scenes from Mar-a-Lago, it's beyond terrifying and it should terrify every one of our listeners. 
How worried are you about this outcome? I'm worried. I also don't think I think McCarthy is crazy if he thinks he's going to be speaker, because I think it's much more likely to be a Jim Jordan. Right. I mean, the Republicans in the House are nuts. And McCarthy, while is, you know, very problematic for democracy, is not nearly as crazy as a Jim Jordan. And you could see a Jim Jordan just trying again and again to impeach Biden, to do, you know, to Benghazi you know, Secretary Pete to do all the crazy, crazy stuff that the Tea Party has done or worse. So, yeah, I'm not I have a lot of I'm concerned. And remember, the way that redistricting is going, Democrats are going to lose seats just with redistricting. You know, I don't know if it's eight seats or 10 seats or 30 seats, but the way that the uh, Congress is set up is very bad for Democrats, right? It's not uh, favorable for Democrats. So you really could be, you could see a situation where Democrats are really in a lot of trouble. So yes, I am not pleased and I am very concerned. Well, there's more than just the crazy Jim Jordans. There's more than just the crazy you right. know, Marjorie Josh Taylor Hawley's, Marjorie Green. Taylor Green, a fucking yeah. nut job. But let me ask you this one, if you would. Yeah. Talk to me about Kristen Cinema. I mean, what's her fucking problem? Whose interest is she serving? I do not know. I mean, it's really the cinema stuff is nuts. I mean, I don't understand why. I don't understand what is happening there or why. I don't get it. I think that uh, cinema. You know, she's. I mean. I think she thinks she's not up for re-election for another four years. But what she doesn't realize, or maybe she doesn't care, is that Mark Kelly is, right? Mark Kelly's up for re-election really soon. And I don't think it's good for him to have her having completely blown up. I mean, it is, you know, with Manchin, Manchin has told Democrats what he wants. And, and you know, he's got, he's problematic, but She's a whole other level of problematic. And the other thing is, if she thinks she's going to switch parties, Republicans are never going to support her in a million years. I mean, it's just completely diluted. I mean, she can't what she's 47 points underwater with Democrats. And the idea that she might theoretically run as a Republican is she's dreaming. So, yeah, I think it's really bad. And I don't quite get it because she used to be a Green Party activist. So it's sort of in, incomprehensible. But what, what's stemming this? I mean, you're right. I understand Manchin. He has an ideology. He has never, by the way, he has never di- diverged from that. He believes in fiscal conservatism, and he believes that $3 trillion is just too much. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not a, opposed to what he's saying here. I believe that when government gets involved in things like road construction, bridge construction, the cost is always five times the amount. The waste, but who the abuse, else the fr- will do it? But who else will do it? I mean, the private companies aren't fixing the roads. I mean, we have bridges that are falling. I mean, even in New York, we have bridges, we have airports, we have trains. I mean, we have, you know, if somebody, if you could get a private company to do it, great, but they won't. I'm not I mean, so sure that they won't. Problem. That's the whole thing. They haven't put it out for an RFP. Let's see. Maybe some companies want to do it and you hold them to that number. So if the road is going to be a million dollars, 
They're going to claim overtime, delays, expenses, union, this, that, and so on. No, 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 no. Our deal is for a million dollars, and that's it. Because when you start getting government involved and with the oversight and all that, that's why you end up with $2,000 toilet seats and $10,000 hammers. Well, let's get back. I think we need to get back to the important part here, which is you can't primary mansion, right? Mansion is the only can senator Democrats will have in West Virginia, maybe for the next 50 years, right? Maybe longer. I mean, Manchin is not a, he is not occupying a Democratic seat. He is occupying a Republican seat, but he has a relationship with the state and it's a small enough state, so they support him. Now, cinema is occupying a Democratic seat, right? Cinema, that is a, 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 a state that is becoming very blue. And so, um, you know, that is a different, that's a different story, you know? Well, who can they bring to run against her? That's what, that's what I would do. But they, she can be, I mean, I would primary with Reagan, uh, with, with uh, Ruben Gallego tomorrow, who is a really great candidate and also is a veteran and also is, serves in Congress and is very smart and comes from Arizona and is Hispanic. Where, which is much of the population in Arizona. I mean, why wouldn't you have someone who represent, you know, really represents the people there? So yes, I would absolutely have Ruben Gallego, and I constantly tell him that, uh, and I think he's a really good candidate, and he's really smart, and he's really, um, you know, he knows that his job is to serve the people of Arizona and not to go to Europe. I mean, isn't that all that we're asking of our representatives, that you serve the people who elected you, regardless of the state that you come from? Isn't that all that we're asking? But they don't. They're all self-motivated, all of them. And by the way, right. it bothers me when they all decide that they all have to say something. They line up. They say something. How about if they didn't have to do that? How about if, you know, the Bannons and the Meadows and the Cash Patels and, and so they just show up for, you know, and the Dan Scavinos, they just show up for the subpoenas and then let the chips fall where they are. This is, as I said before, it's to create a historical record. This isn't supposed to be reality right. TV. Trump has turned our politics into reality TV. It's simply, in all fairness, it's become like a Kardashian country. Every single move has to be recorded. Every single move has to be videotaped and commented on. And everybody has a belief and everybody has an opinion. And that's what, unfortunately, news has become. You remember the old days when they actually told you the news? Now it's all opinion. It's all their innuendo and it's all opinion. And that's not going to help to keep our democracy where we need it to be. Look, some of that is the death of local news. And if you have local news, you have more uh, reporting and more reporting is greater truth. So for sure, that's true. I think some of it is that the Republican Party got so crazy. And some of it is that there is no one taking down the temperature, right? Every night, these people are watching Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson is yelling about vaccine mandates and paternity and this and that. And when that happens, it, there's no one saying like, you know, we're all Americans, right? There's no one saying, look, why are, you know, just because you and I don't agree on a lot of things doesn't mean 
we can't live in the same country. And a lot of the people on the far right are pushing for a national divorce. And by the way, I studied the Civil War. It's isn't that's nothing you want, right? I mean, that will be, result in the death of hundreds of thousands, if not more, people, and it will be horrendous. And nobody wants that. And by the way, like if you learn anything from Russia, it's that when you do that economically, it's terrible. I mean, one of the reasons why America is a superpower is because we have this enormous shared economy. And the minute you start having a national divorce, you have an economy that is really teetering. So, yeah, I think it's real bad and uh, it's really worrying. So, you know, Molly, like I said to you at the beginning, the hour goes by quickly. And I have just one last question for you. I saw that you forwarded the Jim Jordan tweet that read, and I quote, listen, folks, I'm not making this bullshit up. This is actually a Jim Jordan tweet. And when I say he's such a fucking fool, it's scary. Here's his quote. Christmas presents were never late when Trump was in charge. Because Biden controls the supply chain, right? I mean, that's, that's really his thoughts. But it opens up really a larger question of what ammunition from the Delta variant and the GOP's open refusal to support mandatory vaccination that they're going to weaponize against President Biden. Do me a favor. Take us, take us through this. So what happened was you went from, you had a pandemic, you had zero need for things, right? You had need for things that people hadn't needed in a long time, like toilet paper and masks and things. The supply chain sort of turned on a dime, right? And now, and then you had factory closures in China, you had supply issues, you had you know, truck drivers getting sick. You had people dying of COVID. That was the other thing. And then you had people who were scared of dying of COVID. So they went out of the workforce and you had, and you had women going out of the workforce because they had to homeschool their children. So you had real supply chain issues. Then things sort of started up again once the vaccine came and you had a real kind of like the economy went from like a flat line to a mountain, right? It went and all, and there was suddenly demand for things there hadn't been demand for again, right? So pilots started flying and planes started going places and people started going on trips. And that was a big change. And ultimately it caused inflation. We knew there was going to be inflation because the, the economy had been at zero and all of a sudden there was demand for everything. And so things became expensive again. And some of these supply chain issues are because of that. And some of the supply chain issues are because of COVID. And uh, ultimately, it will get worked out. It's not. I mean, it's problematic. And it's problematic largely because of some of the environmental issues, right? Like, this is a time the planet is in such peril. We really need to start turning over to um, solar and wind and more sustainable energy. Yeah, less, less fossil fuel. Right. But the problem is because of this, a lot of these private equity firms are now investing in gas because they know that it's a very, you know, it's a sort of traditional, it's a traditional currency in a way that gold is. Or And so that sucks because it sucks for the environment and it sucks. But and it's and it's another case in which, uh, you know, capitalism is sort of like, uh, you know, it, these sort of weird 
it's a weird way to make money in a way that is is bad for the planet. But ultimately, it's going to get worked out, and it's just a sort of it's just a sort of mess. But it's not Biden's fault. I mean, just like it wasn't Trump's fault, it's sort of a greater confluence of events. But it is, uh, you know, it sucks, and it's. Uh, and it's bad for working people when things get more expensive more than anything because they they the things they have you know but it's also it's interesting i mean the other thing that's really interesting is that we saw with these jobs numbers the september jobs numbers which weren't so great we saw that uh when these um benefits ended these unemployment benefits republicans really wanted to get rid of these unemployment benefits this republican governors because they said was keeping people from going back to work. But what happened when they got rid of those uh, unemployment benefits were people still didn't go back to work. And that is really a case against Republican governors, but also a really a case for that a lot of people don't, there are, there are a lot of jobs that people don't want to take because they're worried about dying of COVID or their kids still aren't back in school or or whatever happens after a pandemic that we don't even know. You know, maybe people have decided that their li- their lives goals are different now. I mean, it's impossible to quantify what is happening here, but something big is happening that's very interesting. Yeah, so folks, in case you don't want to die from COVID, get the vaccination, get the booster, do what you need to do, and still safe social distance, keep your hands clean. You know, if you need to wear a mask because somebody, you're not sure if they are or they're not vaxxed, just do it, right? That way we can get yeah. our country back. But Molly, let me thank you. For coming again on Mea Culpa. Appreciate you. Appreciate your insight, your views, and um, look forward to seeing you again and look forward to coming back onto your podcast. Thanks. And now for today's Mea Culpa. Donald Trump's latest threat to tank the GOP if they refuse to support his big lie is just the latest example of Trump's mob boss-like tactics when issuing thinly veiled threats. I can't tell you how many times I've seen him run this play. I'm not telling people not to vote. I'm saying they won't vote unless you fix these issues that benefit me directly and no one else. What continues to shock even the most jaded observer is the degree to which Trump maintains his death grip on the GOP despite clear and overwhelming evidence of outright sedition on January 6th. The question remains, when will rank and file Republicans wake the fuck up and realize that Trump doesn't give a shit about any of them? If that wasn't already clear, The fact that he has expressed his desire to burn down the fucking party should be the moment they left this abusive relationship once and for all. But let's face it, the GOP won't do this. They have a demographic problem where their party and their values are increasingly out of step with the wider nation and need to perform this kind of sleight of hand and trickery to win elections. Frankly, the GOP is fucked either way but Trump has them addicted to MAGA for their ability to drive turnout and will threaten to withhold them from the elections in 2022 and 2024. The irony though, is that until the GOP widens its appeal, it may prove impossible for them to win a national election without this type of cheating and gaslighting. Trump in many ways is an irrelevant figure who already cost the GOP the presidency and the Senate. 
but for some fucking reason, he has them transfixed that only he can solve their problems. It's in here, in these cracks, where Trump is beginning to lose his hold. We must continue to apply the pressure needed where he will eventually completely torch the GOP once and for all, leaving him all alone. Something Trump fears more than anything is the possibility that he could end up with nothing. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. This is my-